Welcome to Mosaico, the official podcast of Generali Employee Benefits Network, JEB. Here, you will listen to the latest news, trends, and innovations taking place in the employee benefits world and powered by the JEB team and by our partners. Mosaico brings together our insurance partners, connecting different capabilities into one harmonious global view. I am your host, Rick Serrano, Head of Knowledge Management at JEB. I will drive the conversations with talented, successful, and very interesting guests. Join me and learn the highlights of our business as we dive into health, well-being, mobility, pensions, protection, and much more. In this episode of Mosaico, we bring you Francesco Briganti of the Cross Borders Benefits Alliance Europe, CBBA Europe, an advocacy organization based in Brussels with the mission of monitoring of all policies and legislative initiatives in the context of individual and occupational workplace benefits. CBBA Europe also works for the promotion and institutional support to the creation of cross-border pan-European solutions towards the EU institutions and national authorities. Francesco will be explaining to us the role and the activities that make the CBBA such an important organization. We also have with us today our JEP colleague, Denis Cabrillon, who will be commenting on the history of pensions, the challenges of the different pillars, and the value proposition being built by JEP. Let's start with Francesco. Welcome, Francesco. It's great to have you here with us at Mosaico. Thanks for joining. How are you doing today? Hello, Rick. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here at Mosaico. And thanks for asking. I'm doing very well. Fantastic, Francesco. Thanks a lot. So uh, it's great indeed to have you here with us at Mosaico. Francesco, let's get started. Please tell us briefly what the CBBA does and what's like your mission and how do you accomplish it, please? Well, Rick, in extreme synthesis, it's what you have already mentioned. CBBA is an advocacy organization launched in December 2017 representing employers, pension funds, asset managers, law firms, insurance companies, including JEB, companies doing administration of employee benefits and other associations. As a process-based organization, we monitor the European legislation affecting employee benefits, and we do interact with the EU decision makers to amend, promote, interpret, or sometimes even block some legislative initiatives in the interest of our members. In order to do so, we also organize public events like conferences, seminars, where decision makers, stakeholders and the employee benefits industry meet each other. And one of our main missions is to ease employee benefits arrangements at a cross-border level in Europe. Very interesting, Francesco, really very interesting. Thanks for sharing. Now, talking more specifically about pensions. Uh, would you please make us a brief introduction on where do we stand in the pension systems in Europe? Like what's the current situation and what are the most uh, relevant topics being discussed these days, Francesco? Yes, I would say that there are several ongoing discussions on pensions in Europe. Some are related to EU initiatives affecting the, this field. The legislation, for example, on the pan-European personal pension product called PEP recently entered into force, and there is a huge curiosity to understand the market appetite from insurers, asset managers, or pension funds 
for this new product that might be offered in all the European member states. Then there is a strong attention on the legislation on sustainable finance, ESG, that will affect the pension providers. Thank you very much, Francesco. Now, you point out some very specific problems around the cross-border pan-European plans that are still very limited within the EU. Could you elaborate maybe on these problems? What, what exactly are we facing? Where do you concentrate your attention? Tell us, Francesco, please. Well, the European Pension Fund Directive that I just mentioned, that we called IOP2 Directive, provides the possibility to create cross-border activities for European pension funds. Basically, an employer based in one or more countries, like a multinational company, might join a pension fund based in another European country. Those plans are limited because uh, uh, often member states implemented the directive in a way that foreigner pension funds, uh, in fact, cannot easily operate in their territories. In short, some European countries protect their national pension funds by blocking the others based abroad. Though pan-European pension funds could generate economies of scale, favor competition and ease the mobility of workers who could be covered by the same plan after moving, moving from a country to another. I see. I see. That's very interesting. Now, Francesco, let me ask you something different. Given the problems that you have just explained to us, what could be some first steps towards the solution of these problems, or at least some of these problems? I understand you have sent a letter to the European Commission explaining the current challenges. What can you tell us about this? What would be your suggestion to increase the potential of cross-border solutions in the European Union? Well, as I said, the problem with cross-border plans derives from the way on how several member states implement the directive by making those barely impossible. Mm. So the question is, are really these states infringing the directive or is the directive the real problem because it concedes too much discretion to member states? The letter that we sent to the European Commission was precisely about this and underlined the main obstacles to cross-border pensions. The Commission recognized the problem, but also added that in some parts the directive is quite vague, and so in fact it concedes some discretion to the member states. Therefore, in addition to urge some member states to make easier cross-border pensions, we also think that the revision of the directive will be fundamental. Very well, very well. Thanks a lot, Francesco, for illuminating us. Now, let's make a short break here and let me go to our colleague, Denis Cabrillon, who will give us some interesting facts about pension. Welcome, Denis. Great to have you here with us at Mosaico. What can you share with us? Thanks, Rick. Great to be here at Mosaico. Let me share with you some interesting facts about the history of pensions. Please tell us, Danny. So the old age social insurance or pension system as we know it today was introduced for the first time by the German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck at the end of the 19th century, around 1889. When the system was introduced, the retirement age was set at 70 years of age. 
It is important to note that at this time, the average life expectancy was 35.6 years for men and 38.4 years for women. So most people would never really use this benefit. The goal of Bismarck was actually to buy social peace through a limited redistribution of income. He personally believed that as long as a person was fit enough to work, he or she should, in principle, arrange for their own protection, regardless of their age. Then, in 1916, the retirement age was lowered to 65, which has been pretty much a default applied in many countries since then. Just as a comparison, today, life expectancy in Germany is around 77 years for men and 82.5 years for women, and it is rising. Like many countries, Germany faces the question of how to support growing numbers of retirees without bankrupting the economy. Wow, that's uh, very interesting. Thank you very much, Denis. Imagine retiring age at 70 when people live 35 years. That's pretty impressive. Now, let's go back to Francesco Briganti of the CBBA to continue our conversation. Francesco, back to you. Could you comment on some of the local changes and challenges that some of the European countries are facing? For example, I know that France, Italy or Belgium, where their social security is very costly. What what major challenges are being faced by the first pillar in these countries? Several of these countries rely too much on the first pillar pensions, which work on a pay-as-you-go basis. So basically, active workers pay pensions to retirees and are trying to reform their systems, in particular by raising the retirement age and adapting the calculation of benefits in order to reduce their payments to future pensioners. In some countries like Italy and also partially in France, Even the first pillar shifted from defined benefit to a notional defined contribution system, NDC. These reforms, even if necessary, will not suffice to face the demographic challenges of the European societies. Pay-as-you-go systems might further reduce their generosity by becoming more sustainable, but they will not be adequate anymore meaning that their pension fee benefits will not allow retirees to, to live with adequate means. Wow, that's very complex. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Francesco, for explaining us uh, these issues on Pillar 1. Now, given the issues faced in this work front, what could or should be done on Pillars 2 and Pillar 3? How could we move towards a more hybrid model? Well, usually, uh, at least so far, in those member states where the first pillar is very strong, uh, the only way to promote funded second and third pillar pensions are fiscal incentives and sometimes, in the best of cases, are quasi-out-enrollment mechanisms into occupational pensions. But where opt-out is always possible. Unfortunately, such measures are not generating the expected results. Too many workers to, do not join pillars two or three, or they do it too late when a solid construction of a pension pot will be not possible anymore. The aforementioned gradual reduction of first pillar 
pension benefits should require an immediate enrollment into second or third pillar as soon as possible, especially for young generations. The move to an hybrid model by mixing pay-as-you-go first pillar pensions with funded pensions, so second or third pillar, will probably require a reduction of the high costs of pension contributions to first pillar, at least for young workers, in order to find some room from first pillar contributions to funded pensions. Thanks a lot, Francesco. Really very interesting. And now we're going to make a second break here and go back once again to my colleague Denis Cabrillon to get more interesting facts about pensions. Back to you, Denis. Could you give us some numbers to better understand the increase in life expectancy over the last 150 years and maybe comment on the expected evolution for the coming years and at the same time explain why this metric is so important when we talk about retirement and pensions? Denis, tell us. Yes, sure, Rick. So let's first start with some numbers about the change in life expectancy. In 1913, so just before World War I, global life expectancy at birth reached 34 years. In 1950, so after World War II, it jumped to 48 years. This was the first big jump in human life expectancy due to advancements in medicine, like the discovery of penicillin, the use of vaccines, and also improvement in sanitation. At the same time, child mortality had dropped from 43% to 22.5%. If we move forward to 1973, global life expectancy at birth is now 60 years and child mortality is down to 13.7%. Jump to year 2001 and life expectancy reaches 66.6 years, while child mortality drops to 7.4%. In short, it is amazing to see how life expectancy was able to shoot upward in such a short amount of time after remaining nearly the same for thousands and thousands of years. It's a change that happened so fast that society is still struggling to keep up with it. And all studies show that between now and 2040, human life expectancy will continue to grow. There are going to be more and more people around the world living into old age. Now, while this is a very good news for mankind in general, it has big implications on the pension systems. Indeed, the aging of the population leads to a sharp rise in the dependency ratio, which will be doubling or more in the next 40 years. There will be more people in retirement and less people working to finance the pensions of the retirees. This is a very big issue, especially for traditional pay-as-you-go systems, as they exist in many countries around the world. So, as Francesco already explained, there is a need to undergo structural pension reforms in many countries. Well, these figures that you give us are really very impressive. Uh, Denny, thank you very, very much. And now let's go back to Francesco Briganti of the CBBA to finish our conversation. Back to you, Francesco. Now, let me ask you, 
We have just heard from Denis very interesting facts and figures about life expectancy. Given these numbers, how do you foresee the future? What kind of pension solutions do we need going forward? Well, in my opinion, uh, in those member states where the first pillar pensions uh, pay as you go are very high in terms of contributions, uh, the only way to develop hybrid systems, so pay as you go plus funded, will be to partially reduce them in order to grant some more room to the second or third funded pillar pensions. Otherwise, workers and employers will not have enough money to pay additional contributions to them. A gradual diversion of the mandatory statutory first pillar pension contributions to second or third pillar pensions will instead feed them. The transitional period will generate a deficit for pay-as-you-go schemes, but such deficit will be progressively reduced over the years. It would be possible, for example, to entrust funded pensions with exclusive payments of pension benefits for a given period, for example, just after reaching the retirement age. Pay as you go first pillar schemes by start paying then their benefits only after that period. In other words, such a mechanism would generate a postponement of the payments for the first pillar pensions, which might compensate the losses deriving from the reduced pension contributions generated by the side diversion. I know it's a little bit complicated, but that maybe should be the way. Well, it is indeed very complex, but very interesting uh, to listen to you. Thank you very much, Francesco. Indeed, very illuminating answers. Thanks a lot for having been with us here at Mosaico and for having explained to us all the very important activities that the CBBA is driving here in Europe. Thanks to you, Rick. We look forward to staying in touch and great to have been here at Mosaico. It has been our pleasure, Francesco, and we wish you, of course, best of luck in all your endeavors. Thanks a lot for being here. And now let me go back for the last time to Denis Cabrillon to try to conclude our conversation on the JEP side also. Denis, you are working on the consolidation on the building of the pensions value proposition for JEP. Could you share with us the main points of JEP's pension solutions? What are the major advantages of the solutions you are creating and what's your vision of the future? Yes, Rick, thank you for the question. At JEP, we are providing to our clients a central point of contact with a global coordination of locally compliant pension solutions for their employees. So we reduce the complexity faced by multinational companies by providing them with locally compliant pension solutions in the different locations where they operate. On top of that, we are able to provide to our clients a pension report which allows us to give a single and consolidated overview of the various corporate pension plans that a specific client has in place with our network partners across different locations. For the future, I would say that there is an increasing need from large multinational organizations for data availability and reporting services when it comes to occupational pension plans in order to improve the transparency and governance. Super interesting, Denis. Thank you very much indeed. It has been great to host you here at Mosaico. Thanks a lot for your support. Thanks to you, Rick. Great to be here. Thanks again, Denis, and also to Francesco Briganti. Our pleasure to host both of you here. And now you know what kind of organization the CBBA is and you understand the important role they play in the European pensions landscape. 
you now also know more about the origins of pensions and the challenges ahead. But you also know what Jeb is building on this important work front of pensions. This is precisely what we do at Jeb. We are in the business of creating the best possible employee benefits global network for you and your employees. Well, I hope you have found this podcast useful. Here at Mosaico, we will be talking about our network partners, bringing you one different topic every time and sharing with you the most relevant information about the different lines of business where we are present. My name is Rick Serrano, Head of Knowledge Management at Jeb, and I invite you to follow us here at Mosaico. We will come back next month with another successful and innovative organization of our network. So now you know it. Please stay tuned to Mosaico. I will meet you here for the next edition. Thank you very much and have a great day. <laughs>